Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion, unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. are listening to Dream. Down the rabbit hole. Henry's dreaming again. Caught in the clutches of his fever, his trembling lips whisper silent stories. They tell a tale that I've never heard before, but which feels primordially familiar. Out of the pair of us, it's Henry that must suffer. Henry, who must lie awake nights with needles and hornets swarming through his body, never giving him a moment's peace. Henry, who tosses and turns, sweating out this unfair sickness as I mop his brow and pick at the cuticles from my worrying fingers. Henry, who shoulders the evils of the world so that I may laugh and play and love when the sun is up and the world is green and mother's home and dotes on my baby brother's every scream and utterance. We are far too young for this. I am far too young for this. I pour at aching eyes, glance at the flickering light of the oil lamp, 
its flames casting illusions of monsters and fairy tale things against the wall. At night, the shadows come alive, play tricks with my sleep-deprived mind, and it's all I can do to tell myself the words that Father has shared with me so many times before putting horse to trap and setting out into the wild unknowns. There are no such things as monsters. I scoff, drag a hand through bedraggled blonde hair, wipe the greasy residue on my white pinafore. The sleeves of my azure dress have turned shades of midnight ocean in the gloom of the chamber. I can smell Henry's sickness in the air. A salt pang that speaks of tossing waves and breaking surfs of void wrath black. My gorge rises, and for a moment, it's all I can do not to hurl into the rusted bedside bucket as another fresh torrent of abuse conquers my darling brother's insides. No. Please. Down the... He can't. She... she won't. I cock my head. Virgin brow creased with concern. His eyelids flicker, legs thrashing at the thin, soiled sheets which peel like dampened paper beneath this chitinous frame. Leave her. Not... not yours. Leave her. I lean closer, cloth in hand, prepared and dutiful to the dewy worry on his brow as his words shift to ramblings. As eyes snap open with fear, pupils roll to the back of sockets, an alarm shocks his nervous system. Fa glue a mu glue naf fa glue a ma glue naf ka hu. The sudden intake of breath as if wheezed through pipe, eyes fixed to mine. Oh, so white and wide, words like crumbling dust. Fa glue. And now he is choking, body smashing repeatedly against his bedclothes, limbs flailing like marine creatures of no bone structure, mouth caught in a permanent O oh of pain as the sheets slip and threaten to expose my naked brother to the open air. With instinct and reflex instilled by mother, I mount Henry and bear my full weight on his shoulders, still him in place. Wrangle the virgin Bronco as he protests with strength that should not be his after so much time spent ill, neck straining, muscles knotted, teeth clamped and bared as Henry's strange mutterings persist and leak through ivory gaps with a gentle whistle. It's okay. It's okay. Alice is here. You're going to be okay. I stutter through tear-blurred eyes. As I hold him, I close my lids and dream that I'm far away from this place, relief softening my prepubescent shoulders as I picture far-off shores, vibrant flamingos, blood-red roses and a court of candy hearts. You're safe. Soon you'll wake up and this will all be over. It's all just a dream. Alice! Blinding white light explodes in my vision as my stomach topsy-turns and the air flees my lungs. Hot, burning pain spikes my coccyx and I'm tossed against the wall, the shape of his foot already reddening my porcelain skin. I hit the wood with a crash and a feeble cry escapes my lips. Hot waves rush to my eyes, but before I can feel any pity or anger, I find myself staring up at the frail young skeleton that dominates my view. A skeleton that had once been my brother. He stands at the end of his bed, 
Sheet slipped from his pathetic frame. Nothing to leave to the imagination. What had once been a plump stomach and developing shoulders are now wet rags hanging over a scarecrow's structure. A thatch of unkempt hair. Patches damp. Patches straw dry. Stick out in all directions. And the ghosts of Christmas past, present and future linger in the haunted bags beneath his eyes. Lightning tears the darkness. Turns soft edges into polygon corners. In the fraction of a second in which the world is washed with white, I'm certain that I see something dark and long and sentient crawl back inside the cavern of his gaping mouth. I take a rattling inhale. Henry? Words fall like empty promises. There's no reply in voice. Only a shaking hand fighting gravity as Henry's tight fists unfurls a single reluctant finger towards the glass panels behind me. I become instantly aware of an odious ticking, yet it's only as I turn to see what it is that Henry is indicating that I realise it's not ticking at all, but the drumbeat syncopation of rain upon the glass. When did it start raining? When did the nights fall so dark? I return my gaze to Henry, curiosity fighting with exhaustion as I discover that Henry is not only no longer standing at the end of the bed, but that he never was at all. From my vantage on the floor, I can only make out the soft slopes of his sheets against his body, restful and subdued in the wake of his latest fit, his gentle snores filling the room. I rise and return to his bedside, place a clammy palm upon a clammy brow. He is lost again, faded into his world of dreams as a gentle smile pulls at his lips. I swallow dryly, scratch my chin, sip the last dregs of water from his cup. On his bedside sits a storybook, thick and worn, pages dog-eared and stained with time. On its cover, embossed in a rust that might once have been gold, a creature of ungodly proportions disguised as a fable for children, all dragon wings and impossibilities. I stroke a gentle finger against the leather, feel the skin of its cover pucker and kiss my touch. I draw back, a flash of Henry's skeletal ghost filling my eyelids. Henry had been awake, hadn't he? I'd seen him, standing there. My back, still hot from the impact of my fall, throbs and tells me true. He had been awake. Then how is he so lost in his sleep right now? How had such a movement come from a boy who had barely lifted his head in days? Perhaps I should be sleeping too. After all, Mother cautioned me of my unauthorised late-night visits, had found me slumped over his bedside most mornings, told me that insomnia, exhaustion and anxiety were an awful recipe for a growing fertile mind could break reality and bring monsters through dimensions. There are no such things as monsters. I rise, phantom-like, to my feet, stroke Henry's head and plant a soft kiss on his temple, feel the butterfly kiss of blood beneath the film of his skin. I stray to the window, staring into the blackness of the storm and watch the rain for what feels like hours, feels like seconds. 
could be never. I glimpsed the shadow of the dilapidated barn at the end of the garden, horses and oxen stabled inside. Beyond that, a forest of oaks, resources for firewood and timber, grown from eons of our forebears. Father once proudly kept his estate, but since Henry's affliction he has fallen ever more distracted, absent, failure carved in the arid desolation of his own face. There was only so much hope that prayers and well-wishes could deliver to a dying world. Another wash of lightning. A flash of white. It can't be. I cut my hands, press my forehead against the cool glass, wrestle with reality. Blink. Wait. Watch. The night falls dark. I dare not move. I know what I have seen, yet I know it cannot be so. To acknowledge what my eyes are telling me they see could break, would break me, shatter worlds and plunge me into insanity. A place father has sworn there is no return. Behind me, Henry has fallen silent. I turn. He is no longer there. Just crumpled sheets and sweat-soaked pillows. My heart is a moth trapped in glass. Where is my brother? Another flash, and my fragmented thoughts confirm the impossible. He's still down there, rain-soaked and frantic. A young boy, naked and bone-china white. Something bright flickers in his vapid gaze. And it's in this moment caution is discarded, and I tear from Henry's bedroom. Soft feet pad against the landing. Elbow crook catching the handrail and pivoting me down the stairs. I take them two at a time, almost three. Stumble, pinwheel, recover. Another flash of lightning limbs the house with ghosts and the creatures from beneath my bed, shadows racing across the wall to catch me as I flee towards the absurdest creation the night has conjured. Already certain that as I break into the night and feel the healing properties of Mother Nature's rain on my face, what I know to be false will be proven rightly so. But it's not. He's truly there. Waiting at the end of the pebble-dashed drive, Henry stands, a twisted creation of his own feverish dreams. It's Henry, but not Henry. As though a child has moulded the clay into an absurdist creation. Both a rabbit and a boy is all I can think to compare. Henry's height, but with a crook in his back and feet that appear too large for his frame. Where bare flesh should cover his bones are instead tufts of ragged white fur, sodden and glued to his skin. Long ears sit atop his head that trapes to his hindquarters, chest rising and falling in rapid flutters, as eyes as black and gleaming as pool balls stare at me in terror eyes that don't register familiarity with his own sister. Henry? Soft, stolen by the wind and the howling rain, I pour drops from my eyes, shield myself from its assault with a forearm, take a step towards the creature. He hops back, a long single bound, breaks eye contact and looks skittishly around. I wonder if the poor beast is frightened. If this brother leprine creation is true, or if I am not dreaming 
where it might have come from. How such a magnificent and tortured creation could find itself in my own back garden, rather than tucked safely in bed, or nested in a hole in the ground. Henry? I try again. Extend a hand. Swallow rainwater. Shiver. The Henry rabbit looks up at the house. At his bedroom. As I follow his gaze, another flash of lightning illuminates the house in ghoulish palettes. The architecture grinning like some sentient giant. At its far reaches, its monstrous eye winks. And in the place where its pupil should be, I find the shadow of my true brother at the window, beaming down at us both, beating at the glass until red appears from the ring of his fists and stains the window pink. Henry? I call, only to be drowned out by thunder. By the time I remember the Henry rabbit, I turn to find that he is no longer standing, but sprinting away from the house and towards the forest. A longing glance back. Brother mine is gone. Never was. Could never have been. And then I'm running. Tearing across the lawn as grass and mud French kiss the soles of my bare feet. Wind whips at my clothes, forces me back like a physical thing. But I find something hidden deep inside that pulls me towards this twisted creation. A voice, desperate and crying at the back of my skull, spurs me onward and it's all I can do to obey its command and pursue this hybrid impossibility. Beneath my feet, turf turns to mud, turns to sticks and detritus. The rain eases a fraction as I enter the womb of the woods, darting between trees, leaping over roots, batting at branches. A thousand paper cuts slice my bare arms as twig-like fingers snatch at me, the trees appearing to move of their own volition to bar my passage. The Henry Rabbit is no longer a constant thing, but a strobe of white that flashes and darts, and somewhere in the air the crashing of thunder grows more frequent and urgent. And suddenly I'm there, in the place where my brother Rabbit once was. I stand alone in the hollow, a strange and eerie silence befalling the world. In this place there is no rain, no thunder, no lightning, is no Henry, is no pain, is no suffering, is no time. A buttery light illuminates the space, and I have no indication of its source. Only a marrow-deep understanding that this place has been built for me in this moment, and I am the sole possessor of each fibre of this story. I smile, breathe deep of the honey-scented foliage, Shake off the remaining drips of a rainstorm that never was, never would be again. Spot the tuft of white fur caught on the frayed edges of the knotted hollow of an ancient oak. Drink in the splendour of the majestic totem. A tree larger than any before witnessed in my growing years. Wide at the base, obese and stumpy, reaching up and splitting into two fat arms that lift into the air as if frozen midway through a ritualistic interpretive dance. Spindly jagged fingers reach out to throttle the sky. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Smile. But that was what this hollow was, wasn't it? A large nurturing grin from a greater god. 
an invitation for better things to come, a place where all creatures could be safe, and where harm was a word never to exist in its lexicon. A giggle escapes my throat, spurred by a dreamlike haze as spores and fireflies circle my head. I find myself swaying as a strange melody fills the hollow, is heard inside my flesh, playing on the strings of my nervous system, sending signals to the parts of my lizard brain that have laid dormant for centuries. Old nobly knee, daddy dee, what gifts I bring for thee. Old nobly, my words as insignificant as dewdrops. The song continues. Old nobly knee, daddy dee. Yes. Yes, breathless, stolen. What gifts I bring for thee? Eyes closed, pained cheeks. Have I ever smiled this wide? Something coils around my ankle, wet and purposeful. Oh, nobly knee. I laugh, gasp, fool. The thing wrapped around my ankle tugs with painful certainty, sending me reeling again to my back. It's okay, though. Forest floor protects me, beds of leaves softening the blow as I glance at my captor and let out a sky-piercing scream of anguish at the blackened tendril that trails from an old nubbly scar-like maw like a charred cephaloid tongue. Its hold is a vice, and either the tree grows larger or I grow smaller, as I am drawn inside Nobly's Hollow, where I am fed to the great totem. Fingers grasp knotted edges that suddenly sharpen to files and break the skin of my fingers in their predatory teeth. And before I know what's happening, I'm falling. 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 Blackness swallows me, a darkness that could never be a colour, but could only be a living, breathing thing. There is no hole that I fell through, never was a hole, only the sensation of a world forever shifting and morphing in rapid looping stages, only a world with no constant and within which the only thing that could ever exist has ever existed was a little lost girl named Alice. I scream with no sound. I blink with no distinction that tells me when eyes open and when they close. I fall with no end. Only in my mind's eye do I see the images. See my brother tossing in his fever. See the rain falling in sheets and the ghost of my mother's smile. Smell my father's cologne and watch as a rabbit runs in circles on the lawn, gigantic and fearsome, treading muddy trails and concentric patterns, as I am hypnotised and fed into the old man in the tree. I am dreaming. Must be dreaming. I am falling. Soon I will wake. Soon sense will restore and colour will return, and I'll know that this is not death, for death is an end, and in the end there is nothing, or so I'm told. 
In death there is no falling, is no screaming, is no endless void filled with dense gravity that hurtles me into an endless chasm for eons and seconds all at once. I cry, chest hitches, can't catch breath, still falling, still dreaming, screw eyes tight, flail arms, remember my brother, recall the softness of his sweat-soaked linens, open my eyes, instantly regret my actions. The darkness has broken, and in its wake, monsters swim. At first I can't tell if there are hundreds of smaller monsters, or just one gigantic being. They manifest as a swarming mass of creation, as the thousand tentacles of a colossal squid, writhing and dancing on the edges of my field of vision, swimming in a gelatinous miasma that sends out a putrid stink that gags and chokes. As I fall, they surround me, never quite touching, yet somehow always watching. Eyes, so many eyes, opening and closing along tendrils the thickness of houses. Shots of bioluminescent snake along their coils in neon greens and blues and crimson. And as I call out with no sound, they communicate with their disinterest. Unblinking, staring eyes the size of swimming pools surrounded by brothers and sisters that blink and squint and watch with strange sucking and popping utterances that recall my own squirming episodes in the clutches of grandma's kisses. Somewhere in the midst of it all, the throbbing pound of a beating heart, its steady rhythm enough to match the pulsations in my head, as though with each boom, boom, it contracts and expands with the pressure of the universe, pushing the titanic squid-like mass closer, closer, ever closer. And I think that this is now forever, that this is all that was and all that will be, and I am lost and alone in this writhing conglomeration, frozen in a stasis so nightmarish that escape is just a memory of hope, that all that once was. Hot pain shoots up my spine, a blink, and they're gone, and I am landed with a thump on the cold, hard ground. What is happening to me? It's a question that stains my lips, scents my tongue, as I lie on the unyielding stony ground, frosted with moisture. I allow a moment for the pain to subside, and for my world to stabilise. I feel as though I have spun in a centennial of circles, have been tossed and thrown by raging oceans. I draw in long gasps of an air that tastes like the dawning of time, and as I peel myself off the brownstone, I no longer feel a young girl, rather that I have aged a century in my own body. My heart stammers struggles to catch the breaths it lacked in my fall as I examine the long tunnels of this vast new cavern that stretches out in all directions. What gifts I bring for thee. Old Nobly, his voice a phantom in my head, or so I believe at first. I know those words. Whispers in my head echo a moment shared in a world just abandoned. 
words weep from the tongue of a fever-stricken boy. The chanting grows louder. They're nearby. Voices. So many voices. Trailing through the cave. A chorus of chants, echoing thoughts that led me here. Into the cave in which I can no longer find any discernible entrance above me. Only stalactites that glint and drip like the teeth of a Transylvanian count. I start forward. The only direction I can truly go. Towards the signs of life that reach me in decibels. As my gentle feet whisper across the rough, frigid rock. The way is lit with the glow of foreign fungi, round and bulbous, casting the visage of blinking eyes in the writhing dark. They gather in clumps, a soft haze of spores surrounding their luminescence, the bulbs swelling and contracting as though scenting their visitor, beating like a cold, dying heart. The chants rise in volume. It is melodic, ghoulishly beautiful. My skin turns to goose flesh, and I am thrown back to Sundays at church as monotony accompanies melody, and the dozens of alls become a single one in the gloom, a single voice spreading the gospel of the Lord, relaying love and hope and honour and valour and sacrifice. Feverish, desperate, glorious. The cave's throat widens, opens into a yawning mouth. There is water, bracken and prehistoric in its scent, awakening nerves and cells that have remained stagnant for eons inside my body. The chanters stand before the shore of the vast underground lake, cloaked and hooded in black, dozens of them in a huddle that shivers and vibrates with its keenness. I see no faces among them, only their humanoid form garbed in robes that sweep to the cavern floor, an emblem of crimson hearts stitched into their backs, visible in the glow of the spectral blue torches they carry, where aortic vowels should sit on the illustration are instead more tentacles and appendages. And I begin to wonder what it is I have wandered into. This land of wonder. I watch them for a short spell. Let the chanting rhythms beat my heart drum, eyes drawn to the mirror stillness of the lake's surface. In its depths, something glows and frolics. In the distorted world beneath the water's surface, something monstrous threatens to wake. I can feel it, can smell it with each hair in my nostrils, can taste it in the electricity in the air as the feverish chants of this strange cult grow wild. I take a small step forward, stop, freeze, cock an ear, listen out once more for the squelching smacks of the thing that moves behind me, something that whines in the frequencies of dog whistles and beckons my attention away from the lunatics at the water's edge. When I do finally yield to my own fears, 
I wish I'd never turned around. Some things are better left unseen. Some creations should never be realized, told, or remembered. Some monsters should stay beneath the bed. I run, choosing flight over fight. Pick a tunnel at random. Run faster than I knew I could. Legs pumping against stone. Sound lost to the cultist's choir. Wind whipping blonde hair behind my ears and spraying back tears which threatened to blur my vision. I zigzag in the primordial hollows of the tunnels. Descend and ascend in the intestines of this great stone beast until there is no more coil left to unravel. Until I am staring at a cold, hard wall of stone and know that there is nowhere left to flee. There is only an up into a chute devoid of light and I am trapped. The creature trails towards me, echoes magnifying its gelatinous impossibilities that suck and sip and pop. A monster without true definition and so many mouths. My lips tremble as Henry's once did in a world that is not this one. I wonder if the nightmares of his fever match my present reality as my body racks with sobs and the tears begin to trail down my cheeks. I press to the wall, the only comfort offered to be found in its cool touch on my feverish skin as the tears begin to flood. The tears rain down, the tears splash the rock. The monster approaches. Water gathers around my toes, around my ankles, rises to my knees. Each drop magnified and grown into a dark pool that fills this cavernous space. I gasp at the sight of the panicking creature, flailing and terrified, unable to comprehend this turn of events. I close my eyes, take myself far from this place, far away from endless falling and ancient oaks and gelatinous monsters and heaving cults, far away from the invasive truce that whispers in the back of my head that I cannot swim and the water is rising We hope you enjoyed this special Halloween episode of The Other Stories. Find out more about us and join our exclusive community at theotherstories.net. Dream was written by Danny Wilcox, with audio production by Jimmy Horrors. Georgia Cook plays the role of Alice. Josh Curran plays the role of Henry. Manny Realguy plays the role of Father. And Joseph Morty reprises the role of Old Nobly. A special thanks to our chanting cultists, a full list of contributors can be found at theotherstories.net forward slash dream. Theme music was provided by Duncan Muggleton with artwork by creativeparameter.com. For a full list of contributors, including contact links and further information, check out the show notes of this episode. Finally, a special thank you to this episode's sponsors. Shadow and Spice Book Box. Quarterly subscription boxes for lovers of fantasy, horror and dark romance. Sign up now at bookboxcanada.com and Ebury River Publishing, an independent publishing house specialising in dark fantasy and horror. Find out more at eerierriverpublishing.com. The Other Stories is a production of the story studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivative licence. Don't change it, don't sell it, 
but by all means, share the hell out of it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.